0: Well, good morning. So good to see you here in Plymouth. For all of you at our regional campuses, we're so excited to have you there. Obviously, Northridge Gross Deal, Northridge Brighton, right now streaming live with us. And so it's great to be one church meeting in four locations. And if you're a guest, welcome to Northridge Church. This is an exciting, life changing place, and we're thrilled that you're here. We're in this series called Brush, and it's all about the importance of and the power of experiencing moments where God, invades our life, touches our lives, where he reveals himself to us in special ways, which can happen to each and every one of us. And I have to tell you, it has certainly happened to me. In fact, it's the defining reality of my life. There's nothing more powerful, really, in this world, more life-impacting in this world, than being on the receiving of the receiving end of unconditional love. I, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege. I know not everyone has experienced moments of unconditional love. But when you are on the receiving end of it, it can impact your life profoundly. While it's true in this world, there's a lot of pain and loneliness and fear and, and rejection. The experience of unconditional love has the, has the power to wash the impact of all that darkness away. It has the power to to change us and to to shape us. One of the first times I actually recognized, not one of the first times I experienced it, but one of the first times I recognized the the power of unconditional love was in the wake of a very serious accident I experienced towards the end of my college days. I, I was engaged to Roxanne. We were about two weeks away from our wedding. School had come to an end, and she had gone home to finish all the wedding preparations, and I moved into the small apartment that we had rented for after the wedding. Other than a few pieces of furniture, I mean, there was literally nothing in it. Nothing. We had no dishes, no silverware, no food, nothing personal. But it was no big deal, because, well, I'm a guy, Seriously, who needs anything in your apartment? But beyond that, it, it was no big deal because I, I was barely ever there. I was working 16-hour shifts back-to-back back every day in order to make money for our honeymoon and to kick our new life together off. Uh, at the time, I was working at a huge national bakery. It's the bakery that makes Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Have you ever heard of those? Sure. Uh, all of us have gotten a little bit fatter on those things, and uh, I was a part of those in that day and near the end of one of my many back-to-back-to-back 16-hour shifts exhausted and not thinking so clearly I I reached down into a vat to clean a huge dough pushing auger but I failed to turn it off and my hand got caught in the thing and someone in awareness, hit the emergency stop before it took my whole hand in, but the index and middle finger of my right hand were just literally hanging. As you can imagine, everything kind of went crazy around that workplace accident. The ambulance was, the ambulance was there in minutes. I, I was taken to a hospital that was about an hour away. I was rushed into an emergency room where the doctors were immediately surrounding me and going after it. But, but after inspection, they decided that they couldn't do anything to help me they needed a a hand specialist uh, someone who was more equipped for this and the only one in the entire area was in surgery at that time and wouldn't be out for hours and so they just left me there to wait so there I am for three hours holding my hand wrapped in towels two fingers almost off waiting the specialist finally showed up took a long look and told me that there was only one way to save these two fingers. It would take a major skin grafting operation that would require attaching my two fingers to my inner thigh for like six weeks. To which I said I'm getting married in two weeks. To which he said, no, you aren't. (laughs) He was obviously a very emotionally supportive guy. And uh, (laughs) he, he went to work on my hands a bit. He did all he could in that moment, in that space, and he wrapped them up. And he scheduled an appointment for me to come after the weekend to decide on a surgery schedule. And he sent me home. And this is when I hit bottom. I was in pain, a little bit of shock. I was obviously scared about my hand, about my future, and I was all alone. I mean, there was no one with me. I rode in an ambulance. No one from work had come, and there was no one in town to call. I was a college student in a college town, and they'd all left. I had no car. That was left in the parking lot at work. I had no money because I was injured in my work outfit. My wallet was in my locker at work. i, I had called a taxi, but then I realized I didn't have the money, and so I watched him pull up and pull away. I must have looked so pitiful because a young gal came up and she said, can I help you get to the psychiatric hospital? No, she didn't say that. She <laughs> Can 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 I help you? She was just very gracious, and 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 she ultimately gave me a ride to my apartment. I I walked into that empty apartment, exhausted, shocked, starving, and all alone. In fact, as alone as I had ever felt in my entire life. I I couldn't really call Roxanne. I mean, what was I going to say? Hey, we're not getting married. <laughs> that probably wouldn't have been really terrific. So. So here's what I did. Remember, a college senior, I called my mom. Within hours, she came from Florida to Tennessee, did everything it took to arrange the flights, no questions asked, no hesitation. She was there. And I have to tell you, when she walked in that apartment, all five foot one inch of her, and hugged me with her unconditional love, it immediately washed away all the profound loneliness and fear. It it changed my world in that moment. In the end, God worked a bit of a miracle into my life. My fingers ultimately healed without the surgery Thank God, and uh, Roxanne and I got married on time, and there was only one kind of hitch to it all. I had to um, hold my hand like this all the time. Um, (laughs) The wedding pictures are beautiful. You should see them. It's pretty awesome. We were in Florida for our honeymoon and went swimming, and I was like this, and... (laughs) But hey, we got married and got to do all the things that come with that. Uh, (laughs) It was in that crisis that I really began understanding that there's nothing more powerful, nothing more important, more life-impacting in this world than being on the receiving end of unconditional love. And as amazing and important as it is to receive it from another person, I've since discovered that there's no one who loves us more unconditionally than God. And there's no love in the world that has the power to wash away all of our pain, all of our loneliness and fear, and all of the guilt and shame of our failures, and all of the bitterness of betrayal and rejection, More than his love. When we experience the brush of his love, it has the capacity to wash it all away. And that's what we see in this week's story of a woman who experienced a brush, a special touch from Jesus one day, and she's known as the woman caught in adultery. Kind of tells you something about her life, her status in life. And it's such a powerful story that I just decided I was going to read it to you. It's got all of the drama it needs on its own. And so with a couple of context-setting things of interruption, I'll just read the story. John 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts in their spiritual gathering places where all the people gathered around him, and, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of the day, so-called, brought in a woman, Now, please picture it, brought in a woman, actually caught in adultery. Who knows what stage of dress? Who knows the condition? Caught in the act of adultery and now yanked into this setting. And look at what they forced her to do. She was caught in the act of adultery and they made her stand before the group And then said to Jesus, teacher, this is a challenge, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. The idea is that sin separates us from God, and the wages of sin is death, and so when you choose a life of sin like she did, that was worthy of death, and their indication and inference is, we're above this, but she's not. And it tells us exactly what they were trying to do because they then challenged Jesus, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. All they were doing here was trying to trap Jesus. I mean, they they were basically saying, this guy, and everyone's following him because he's living in compromise, he's diminishing the truth, he's compromising God's truth just to do his own thing, he doesn't stand for God at all, and and we're going to prove it. We'll bring this woman and shame her in front of the world, and we'll call upon God's truth and ask him what he'd do about it. And they thought they had him trapped, but can I just give you a little aside here? The day you think you're smarter than the God is the day you go down. Because that's exactly what happens here. We're not smarter than God. And then he, it says that Jesus, I love this. I mean, you know, I would have gotten up in their face and done all kinds of stuff. But it says that Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. He started playing in the sandbox. And they kept pestering him. They kept on questioning him. And he straightened up and he said to them, this is so powerful. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. It is true that the wage of sin is death, he's saying, and it it's true. And so if you're not deserving of a stone yourself, go ahead and throw the stone. <laughs> Trapped. <laughs> and again, you know, he played in the sandbox. He stooped and wrote on the ground. Now I have no idea what he was writing in the in the sand. But it's interesting, isn't it, that God saw it as something worth telling us. That he stooped down and he was writing in the sand. Makes me think about that. It's curious, why would God do that? I don't know what he was writing. It could have been, go blue. (laughs) You know, it could have been. (laughs) Doubtful. After this week. But it might have been, because of what happens afterwards, that it was something really obvious. Because look at verse 9. It says, at this, he's writing in the ground, he said, if, You're not worthy of a stone throw, then go ahead and throw a stone. And at this, verse 9, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first. That's interesting, isn't it? One by one, the oldest first? Could it be that he was writing down a word or two that identified their secret? Guilt, shame, sin, and each time he wrote it, they knew they better head because they were going to be embarrassed big time. And could it be? I don't know. I mean, it's just interesting to think about. But for sure, they all left. And, I, and then I love how verse 9 ends. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, this is a fearful place. We're afraid of being exposed to each other. We're, we create images, you know, of self-protection from each other. We, we keep from disclosing the truth about ourselves to each other. And we know we're all a bunch of mess-ups. Can you imagine standing alone in the condition of your guilt and shame with God alone, with Jesus alone? This had to be a petrifying moment. It's a moment that we can, many of us, understand. We're afraid of God. We might put on airs, but we're not so excited about the prospect of standing in front of him. And there she is. But it didn't go like we fear it will go. Jesus didn't treat her like we would treat each other. Look at verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. That's just not how I would think the moment would go. I accept it with her, but... I put myself in her shoes and I know my secret sins. I know the things that make me worthy of the stone. I know the the sins that separate me from, I know. And if I'm standing fully bared before God in those sins, this isn't how I feel like it goes. Is it how you feel like it goes? Isn't this why we're kind (laughs) of off put by him a bit? You know the truth that leapt out of this story for me, this The story of the spiritual brush that she had with God. Some of us long for a spiritual brush, others of us fear it, but, but here's the truth that comes out from her story. No matter who we are, or what we've done, or where we are, or how others are treating us, God loves us. Are you kidding me? We can't even love each other. And God, the perfect God creator of this world, loves us. Look at 1 John four 4.8. Whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love. These religious, religious leaders claim to, to know God. They claim to represent him. And they did know a lot of his truth. They knew all the songs and stuff. But it says whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. What this woman experienced in the presence of Jesus totally laid bare in her sinfulness is the only thing we can experience in the presence of God because God is love. The reason we don't see it that way is because it's not what we've experienced from one another. It's not how it goes with we fellow human beings. And this verse tells me that there are a lot of religious people who don't know God, because there are a lot of religious people who know nothing about love. Oh, they know, in their mind, right politics and right values and right issues and right dress and right songs and right music and right times to worship and the right church to go to, but they don't know love, which means whatever they do know, they don't know God. And quite frankly, sometimes I fit into that category, and I bet you do as well, because God is love. I'm profoundly impacted and challenged by the difference between how the religious leaders treated this woman and how Jesus treated this woman. It's it's a dramatic difference. To the religious leaders, this woman was useless, useless. Her only value was to help them win an argument with Jesus. She was only worth an argument to them. They had no more concern for her than an ant they would have stepped on on the way to the temple. And it's, it's super sad because they were claiming to represent God. But the only unconditional love that they had was love for themselves. As a result, they couldn't see her. And in their eyes, they were the only ones they could see, the only valuable ones. And everyone else was only good for serving their interests. Imagine how they made this woman feel. You probably don't have to stretch too far to make that imagination because you've probably been in a place where you were this judged and this condemned. And then there's Jesus. To Jesus, this woman was of supreme worth. He, he saw her value as from God. You know, the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made by Him, and He knows that because He's the one that did it. He created us, Jesus did. And And what's really fascinating about this story to me is that all of her bad choices, and there she is standing in full disclosure of them, and her value was not lost to him even in the midst of her bad choices. I don't know about you, but when I make bad choices, and I do, and I know you do, uh, I feel diminished in my value. I have a sense of loss of my significance and worth, and I have a sense that I'm not so lovable. Don't you ever get there? But here she is, at her worst, and her values not lost in his eyes. He had ultimate concern for her. We know this because he was going to die for her and did. He left heaven and came to earth for her. And in this story, he's simply doing what he can't help but do. He's loving her. He's expressing who he is, love. And he's expressing how he genuinely sees her. Now imagine how Jesus made this woman feel she'd never had a moment like this never the reason she lived the life that she did was because she was lost and alone and filled with pain and betrayal and darkness and failure to find her life and no one cared about her and all of a sudden she's in the presence of unconditional love His love changed everything for her. It washed the profound darkness of that moment and her past away. And that's what God's love has the power to do in our lives. He's not asking us to play at religion. He's wanting to wash away the darkness of all we've experienced in this world. The truth is that as God loved the woman in this passage, so he loves you. And this is not a new truth. This is not a truth that the religious leaders should have missed. This is the truth that God has always told us. Look at Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. His love is everlasting from beginning to end. There's nothing you can do, have ever done, or will ever do that could ever diminish his love for you. And when you experience that kind of love, you you experience the washing away of all the junk. This is the truth that God has always shown us. I mean, his behavior has always shown us that he loves us. And I don't know why we, we buy religion story that he's a God of... Pure judgment, and that's all we get from him, and condemnation. I don't know why, except that we, we see him through the eyes of how we've been treated in this world, but that's not who he is. He's always shown us his love by his great faithfulness. Look at Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It's, it's the source of a great hymn from the past. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. Why doesn't he wipe us out? Why doesn't he condemn this woman here? Because of his great love. For his compassions never fail. They're never diminished. They're never deterred. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You can know he loves you because he's always been faithful. Always. It's we who haven't been faithful. Isn't that interesting? What's our response when someone's unfaithful to us? (laughs) We're unfaithful to them. Not him because this is unconditional love. It's the kind of love that can change everything. He's shown us his great love by his unbelievable sacrifice. You know, we're experiencing Palm Weekend this weekend, and it's the weekend where where we remember that Jesus was celebrated as king and hallelujah and prayed, and they took palm leaves and all this different stuff and celebrated him as king. And within a couple of days, because Jesus didn't give them what they want, they didn't get their three wishes and the lamp, They were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And they were partying in front of the cross where he was nailed and he died. And why did he die like that? For us, look at Romans 5, 7 through 8, very rarely will anyone die for a good person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his unconditional love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, his enemies, the worst of people, standing in full disclosure of our shame, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says the same thing. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his profound love, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. The wages of sin is death and instead of condemning us to death, he died in our place and rose again so he could give us life. You think... It was an unbelievable, life-changing moment for my mom to come and hug me and change the circumstances of my world on that day. As wonderful as it was, it doesn't come close to what happens when the unconditional love of God is experienced. It washes away everything. All guilt, all shame, all sin. God's shown us his love throughout the ages by his great invitation I mean the god of gods the king of kings has has invited us into his world he's, he's invited us to eternal life that's why he died john 316 for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish but have eternal life he's invited us because of his love for us to experience the forgiveness of sins he doesn't condemn us when we come in our sin he offers to forgive us. 1 John nine says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And here's the problem. Most people never experience his unconditional love of forgiveness because most people aren't willing to acknowledge their sin. A lot of people look to this story and they go, Look at this. You know, doesn't matter what we do, what anyone does, it's all okay. Jesus just goes, it's all right, but it's not true. He loved her with everything, died so that her sins could be forgiven, but he didn't ignore the reality of her sins. She said, Le-, He said, leave your life of sin. She had a choice to make. You know what the religious leaders' problem were is that they were pretending they had no sin. They weren't confessing it, so how could they experience the profound love of God? They had to deny they needed it. And I believe many of us are right there. We'd rather pretend we don't need him than acknowledge the reality reality of our guilt. This woman was fully disclosed, so she confessed. The whole inference of the story is that she experienced the washing away of all of her sin. Jesus doesn't invite you to deny the reality of your sin. He invites you to acknowledge the reality of your sin so he can wash it all away. But as long as we hide it, it remains. And in many of our lives is hidden the secret that keeps us in guilt and shame. But his love offers to forgive us even when we acknowledge it. Why don't we? Because we're afraid that he'll respond to us like others would. We're afraid to acknowledge the secret realities of our lives to others, even those who love us most. Why? Because we think they wouldn't love us still. But Jesus will. He doesn't want you to hide your sin. He wants to wash it away. You have to confess it. He invites us, because of his love, to to live a brand new life. A new life. A life of love. Like this adulterous woman was invited to. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You see, his unconditional love, when it truly experienced takes all the old away, and gives us only new. But that's not how most of us live. Most of us still live defeated by yesterday, haunted by our past, hearing the voices of people who told us that we weren't worth anything or we'd never amount to anything, people who made us stand before the group and called us out. He wants that gone, and he wants to replace it with new. I mean, so much so, seriously, that if we really understood this, it would change how we see ourselves. Someone could come up to me and say, Brad Powell, Brad Powell, aren't you the guy that got kicked out of four schools? I said, no. (laughs) The old is gone, the new has come. You know, it's like... (laughs) And it's not that I can take away what I did in my past, but it can no longer hold me hostage or stain me I still know the loneliness I experienced in the moment my hand was hurt, but I remember how it was washed away in a moment of unconditional love. And the same happens when we experience Jesus. Too many of us experienced what the religious leaders offer. What we need to experience is what Jesus offers. Unconditional love a new beginning. 1 John 4, I already read verse 8, but let me add verse 19 to it. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. We love because he first loved us. This is so important. You see, because we've all failed, we've all messed up, we, we all have a, an improper view of ourselves. We don't see ourselves as fearfully and wonderfully made. We see ourselves as failures and mess-ups and through the lens of what other people say about us etc and and we all need his love in order to properly love ourselves again so that we're not beating ourselves up so we're not feeling like we're still standing like this woman condemned by the world but instead totally forgiven we need to experience his love and when we do we can then properly love ourselves which enables us to then properly love God instead of being angry or dismissive or expecting things from him and we're are unable to properly love others. Do you know there are two results of not loving ourselves? Two results, two things that happen when we don't properly love ourselves, see ourselves through the lens of how God created us. And both are seen in this story. The first is this. When we don't love ourselves as God created us, we hurt ourselves. Because when we see ourselves as broken, we live as broken. When we see ourselves as failures, we repeat the failures. Uh, why should I try if I'm just going to fall again? Why should I make the attempt if I'm going to just mess up again? Why should I love if I'm just going to be betrayed again, right? And so it just perpetuates our failures. We, when we don't love ourselves properly, we hurt ourselves. I, I, I learned this in a really bizarre way when I was in seminary. I was studying all the time, and Roxanne was working at the time, and, and uh, because I'm such an active person, studying's pretty idle, I, I got my activity by eating. And uh, I literally, she'd come home, and there'd be like piles of caramel sulfane on the, my desk. Yeah, the Greek word, you know, Hebrew word, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I gained a lot of weight. And, and, uh, and so we decided to go on a diet. And we didn't do it the right way. Uh, we decided to starve ourselves, you know how that is, and you, you just, uh, if we don't eat anything, we can't gain weight, right, so we started starving ourselves, and we, we had a bag of Doritos on the top of the fridge, and, and every day, I denied myself the Doritos, no, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to eat it, no, I'm not going to eat it, no, I'm not going to eat it, and then one day, I decided, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to eat one. The bag was gone in seconds. I mean, because, see, once I ate one, I was a failure. I had broken the diet. I had messed up. So why not eat another one and another one and another one and another one? Isn't that how our lives is? And then you know what happened? Roxanne came home from work, and you know what I said? Let's go to Pizza Hut! You know, because I was like, who cares anymore? Goodyear blimp, that's my goal. You know, it's like it didn't matter. And this is how we are in life when... We see ourselves as broken and hurting and failures. We perpetuate it. Could it be this is you? But you see, the unconditional love of God can wash it all away. We love because he first loved us. When we experience his unconditional love, we no longer have to hurt ourselves because we we have his love. And then, you know, the second result is when we don't love ourselves, right? When we don't see ourselves as God sees us. We hurt others. And isn't that what the religious leaders were doing here? Sure it is. And you see, this is a lot of people are replacing a relationship with God with religion because with religion they can feel like they earn it, like they deserve it, like they're good enough for it. And we're not. You're just covering it another way. This woman was covering it through adultery. They were covering it through religion. And, and you cannot hate someone as much as they hated this woman unless you are filled with self-loathing. They were broken inside. And many of us are broken inside, and we're hurting ourselves or we're hurting others, and it's all because we've chosen a covering. Whether it's like this woman or like the religious leaders, it doesn't matter. It's a covering. But you see, God's invited us to experience His love, and when we experience His love, then we can love others. Are you experiencing His love? You see, when we, when we experience his love, we become more like Jesus. We love God and we love others because we're not broken anymore ourselves. We fulfill the great command, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love others as yourself. And by the way, our, our lives are transformed when we see ourselves through Jesus' view of us versus the view of our accusers. I think too many of us are seeing ourselves as this woman was when they were saying, she's worthless. She's nobody. She doesn't matter. And when you see yourself that way, you live that way. But when you experience the profound unconditional love of Jesus, how can you anymore see yourself as that way? You can't our goal here as a church. We're not a perfect church. We're not a church of perfect people. We're a church of broken people and flawed people and imperfect people. But we want to start helping each other see ourselves through Jesus' view. Now we can't get there by, by denying that we have sinned, by denying that we're broken, by denying that we're doing something against this truth, by pretending that doesn't matter. We can't do that. We have to confess our sin, leave our life of sin. But when we do, we experience the profound love of Jesus, which transforms us. Our goal is to help you to start seeing yourself through Jesus' view instead of the view of your accusers. All of our ministries about this, but one of our special ministries is our care ministry. Our care ministry here in Plymouth, it meets on Monday night, and our regional campuses it meets at all different times as well, and, and I... The whole thing, I mean, we have grief recovery and divorce care and uh, overcoming addiction stuff and, I mean, freedom in Christ and dealing with all kinds of things just to help people see their view from Jesus' view instead of the view of their accusers. And this is what we all need. In fact, I encourage you, if you're dealing with any of this stuff, I... We have a whole new care ministry thing starting here in Plymouth on Monday night. And each of our regional campuses, you have programs in your thing. And these cards are all available at all of our places and guest services. And this isn't about advertising a ministry. This is about saying, God's love is unconditional and can change you. Let it change you. Let us help you if we can. God's shown us his love by literally inviting us to be part of his family, and that's a pretty big invite, right? I I can't see most people showing up at this thing, seeing this woman thrown in front of Jesus, saying, wait, wait, can I adopt her? I mean, most people, oh. But Jesus wanted her in his family, and you know what's even bigger to me? Jesus wants me in his family. Hardly a week goes by where I just don't feel like maybe I don't measure up. And you know what I do when I feel that way? I read 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. He wants us to be his children. He wants us to walk with him. Here's the reality. All of us will either be like the religious leaders or the woman in this story. I mean, all of us have failed. That's not in question. God loves all of us. That's not in question. The only question is, how will we respond to his love? Will we reject it or accept it? Do you remember, the only way my mom showed up in that moment of profound loneliness was I called her. And that was tough for a college kid. It's like, mommy. You know, it's really, it was tough. I'm so thankful I did. And let me just tell you, there's only one way you'll experience God's unconditional love, and, if, and that's if you accept it. In fact, let me give you this application. If we're going to experience the brush of his love, if we're going to experience the touch of his love in our lives that can change our lives, then we have to receive it. We just have to receive it, open ourselves to it. Look at John 1.12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Have you done this? Not religion, not baptism, not communion. Have you received him, his love? Can you remember the moment when he washed all the darkness and pain away? If not, this is your moment. In fact, I'm going to ask you, just before I finish the talk and we end in uh, worship, I'm going to ask if you'd just bow with me in a word of prayer. And This is here in Plymouth and all of our regional campuses and online. If you're already a follower of Jesus, I bet... You haven't been seeing yourself as the old being all gone and the new has come. I, I bet you've, you haven't been experiencing necessarily the wash of his unconditional love. Why don't you renew that? But if you're here and you've never received it by faith, you've never experienced him forgiving you, why don't you pray with me right now? Just take the words in my prayer, but make them the expression of your heart to God, quietly to God. Just say, I, I need you. Jesus, I, I'm like this woman. I, I'm sinful, I'm guilty, empty. And I need you. And so I, I confess my sin. I believe in your death on the cross to forgive me. And I believe in the power of your resurrection to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, I really want to encourage you to let us know so that we can send you a letter about next steps that you can think about taking in your relationship with God. And it's really easy if you're in one of our services, just take the program and there's a little simple connection card, we call it in here, and you can fill out the front and check that circle on the bottom. It says that you prayed with me and there are little boxes at every exit you can throw that in and we'll do the rest for you. And for those of you watching online, hit the what next button and we'll do the same for you. But you know what I found? I found that once we've experienced the power of his love transforming our lives, then we can't help but share it. I mean, we have to infer a little bit into this story, but do you think this woman kept quiet about this? Do you think this woman was embarrassed about the fact that she'd been caught in adultery? you think she... Oh, you know, I don't want people to know that. And, and I don't want them to know I'm a follower of Jesus and stuff because, you know, he's not so accepting. That. I, I think she went all out. And 1 John 4 seems to indicate that would be the, the must. Look at verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God will live in us and his love is made complete in us. You know what happens? People will see God alive in the our unconditional love for each other. When we don't hurt each other and hurt ourselves, people will see the reality of God's love in that. Isn't that something we should share? If he's really changed our lives, yes, it is. And here's the good news. There's not a time in the calendar that is better for sharing the love of Jesus than the time we're in right now. Next weekend's Easter. There's an openness to... The whole spiritual thing, whether it's because of religion or whatever, at Easter time, that isn't any other time. But many people who would be willing to come won't come because they don't know about a place. And so here at Northridge, we care so deeply about sharing his love out. We've decided before, I mean, there are no reservations or anything. We don't sell tickets. We've decided we're going to do 17 services so there's enough seats for everyone who wants to hear about the love of Jesus next week. That's what we're going to do. Now, there's a risk in that. I could be talking to a lot of empty seats. But I don't think that's going to happen because I think you, like this woman, are going to want to go out and share and invite others. Here at Plymouth, we have 10 services. We have invitation cards that tell you about the times. You can go on, you can get these from guest services. You can, you can go online and you can send Facebook, Twitter, Instagram things You know, from our site to your friends. And, and you, we have these for you regional campuses. Uh, I mean, Northridge, Brighton, Northridge-Groceal, northridge Celine. we have these things for your area. And, and we've added services to every one of our regional campuses. northridge Celine has a 916 Sunday morning we're adding and Brighton you better fill this up you better get those Brighton people there I have some neighbors that desperately need Jesus you need to reach them okay and you have a 916 service in Brighton uh, on Easter weekend you need to fill that thing up and, and, and Gross Eel you have a 916 and 1116 already but now we're moving to a Saturday night 516 for Easter for you and here in Plymouth uh, we're doing it for you know 50 days and so uh, <laughs> would you please invite people why Because every single person needs what this woman experienced, a brush with the love of God that can transform their lives. And if we've experienced it, we owe it to them, right? We owe it to them. Let's bring them in. And I'm going to end this way. Um, Here at Northridge, we're, we're very proud of, maybe overly so, of... The idea that whenever you come in you never know what to expect we're always trying to change things up we're not into formulas we're not into traditions and so we're always trying to surprise you and but there are some things that are pretty consistent that you can trust in i mean we have two values that are pretty consistent we have more than two but two that are in tension right now the the one value is we want to take god's truth and communicate it to you in a way that's relevant to you in a cultural language that you love and embrace that you can understand right But we also have this other huge value, I in particular have this value, that country music is from the devil. And so, um, and these values are kind of in tension with each other, but over the years, we've seen more and more of you coming in liking country music, which means you need Jesus desperately, but besides that, (laughs) If we're going to take God's truth and communicate it relevantly every once in a while, we need to use country music. If you like country music, this is your weekend. Put on your straw hats. Put a piece of grass in your mouth.